Listeners, please welcome Tara Nordic. She's Human Resource Policy and Diversity Officer at NATO. Hi, Tara. Hi. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> yeah, welcome. So glad to have you and really curious to hear what your experience has been like in human resources and what advice you might have for future diplomats currently crafting their, their applications. But let's start with your own role. What exactly does a Human Resource Policy and Diversity Officer do? Yes, okay, sure. Um, so my role in human resources is to I create and review policies and programs that try to foster um, diversity and inclusion within the international staff. Um, in the larger context, I'm also working towards promoting the diversity and inclusion agenda or action plan um, through the newly created uh, Gender Balance and Diversity Task Force, which is uh, composed of all the representatives um, from different NATO bodies, from from agencies, from military, uh, from all the divisions within NATO. And all of those representatives are there to uh, encourage and uh, mainstream, I would say, diversity within their their entities. I'm going to be very frank. Okay. Is fostering diversity at NATO an uphill battle? Absolutely. Um, I would say there's peaks and dips in the, in the process. Um, the biggest challenge I've faced is um, basically to help others understand what their unconscious biases are. Um, because sometimes, you know, someone may think they're quite open-minded and diverse, but um, everyone has their, their unconscious biases. Uh, also, sometimes it's difficult to engage staff on, on an issue like gender or national distribution or even age diversity, disabilities, it's very difficult sometimes because these topics are often marginalized or not seen as a, as a core function of, of human resources. So, but, and also as well because we're a political military organization, the or organizational culture is such that sometimes there's a lot of resistance to any new initiatives or to a change proposal and sometimes I'm seen myself or my role as, as a bit of a threat uh, sometimes to some of the, the status quo or the practices that have been happening uh, for quite a long time. Wow, that must be a really challenging atmosphere to work in. How is that? And also, what advice would you have for fellow human resource professionals that might be facing similar challenges? Yes, I think um, first of all you have to be in this area quite. You have to be uh, quite motivated and have a lot of um, energy and power behind, um, you know, the initiatives that you're trying to pull pull through, and to be able to drive it to the end. Especially, you know, in this role, we're often the the initiator of the project, the project manager, the one having to bring everything right to the end, the planner, and doing all of the detailed administrative things that are required to finish a project. So I would say, um, as advice to other other diversity practitioners, that you just have to have a good um, plan in mind and be able to implement it and to measure it, because measuring the progress is one of the most important ways to show progress. So actually, part of my job is quite uh, data-based. Uh, we, we, we measure, you know, gender. We measure where, where um, there's an imbalance in the gender distribution. We measure national distribution, 
average age, and soon we'll probably be measuring other dimensions, uh, such as race and disability, so that we can improve the services that we have, or and improve the need to improve the um, the needs of the staff, or to meet the needs of the staff. Can you tell us a little bit about what your own career path has been like? How did you realize that human resources was a good fit for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> I I, um, I didn't always think that I was going to be in HR. I started off actually in the military, uh, in the artillery. So that was quite um, at a time when there weren't that many women in the military. It was in the combat arms in the Canadian forces. And uh, so I did that for about 10 years. And uh, afterwards I, I applied I was encouraged um, by one of my professors in my program, master's program, to apply for a position at NATO as an intern. And um, when I I was doing an MBA at the time, and I had applied to go into public diplomacy, and I was encouraged to go into uh, resources and budgeting, because you know I was I had a financial background. I wasn't very pleased about it. Uh, I actually was a bit disappointed, but I was keen to have the opportunity to work at NATO, so I took it. And uh, in the end, I managed to get a permanent position. I applied for a permanent post that was being recruited during that moment that I was in doing my internship. So I was quite lucky uh, to, to get that job, and it was a budget budgeting job, which I did for about eight years. And I realized that um, I was not made to do uh, spreadsheets <laughs> and cyclical type of work. I was really not built for that. I'm uh, um, more of a create, creative type of person. So I started uh, talking to HR people within NATO and trying to inject myself into some of their projects informally and uh, just tried to network a little bit and find out how you know I could get involved in their projects on you know on my own time and um, then the position came up for this the post that I'm in now and I was lucky enough to to get it and I'm very happy because uh, human resources is very fulfilling it's you know you're you're in touch with people you you can create you can write policies so you can do very structured things but you can also there's also the opportunity to do a lot of non-structured um, uh, prog projects and programs. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your own project, the mentorship program. Yes, yeah, so um, that's something that um, I, uh, I developed recently uh, last year as a pilot project. So what I wanted to do was to have a program under the diversity umbrella uh, for, for women, basically, as, as mentees. And... Uh, but I realized that, um, you know, there would be some, a little bit of perhaps resistance of just having a mentoring program just for women. Eventually we will open it to men and, and women, but for now we want to give um, some training to, to mentors in NATO, both men and women, on how to train, uh, how to be trained to be, to be mentors. And I have to say the, the program has been quite successful. Last year we had a 10% participation rate of staff in the program, and this year it's, it's the same as well. So essentially, we ask uh, mentors and mentees to apply uh, to the program and fill out various criteria in their forms. We do the matching process, and then we ask if they accept, and then they continue the, their 
their mentoring relationship for about eight months and then they can choose to continue it afterwards but uh it's been really rewarding because it's basically connecting uh, people from different divisions. Most mentees are matched with people, uh, staff who are not in their division. And what's also exceptional about this program is that it's open. The mentees can be uh, interns, temporary staff, uh, delegations. So it's not solely for for staff members. It's actually for for all for all staff working at NATO, which is sort of unique. Normally, our training is only open for for staff members. So can I ask, do you have advice for young professionals working in diplomacy? I'm curious about three different categories, I guess. One, advice for applicants. What do you wish that they knew? (laughs) Especially things that might make your job easier. And especially if you want to encourage specific skills, if you think there are topics that need more help. Second, if there have been things that you've seen, particular patterns that have emerged in terms of the mentorship program and the mentee-mentor relationship, advice there. And finally, I think general advice, what would you tell your younger self? So Mm. what do you think? Should I... I could also prompt you on all three of those separately. Yeah, that might be easier. I I already forgot the first one. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. I went uh, um, went off on a tangent, yeah. Um, Okay. How to advise, how to, the first one was how to, um, what's the advice I would give to women applying for NATO? Precisely. Okay. Especially almost like, what do you wish that they knew to make your job easier? Like, is there something you see that is just so annoying or something that they're not doing and it's just the one last piece that's missing from their application yes. type of a thing. Okay. I think uh, from what I've seen actually and one of the one of the things we've done in the mentoring program is to actually help mentees uh, prepare their their CVs. It seems like something very understated but in fact it's really the the tool that you use to get yourself through the door and it's the first thing that that everybody passes around uh, when you're looking for a job and there are quite a number of ways to prepare a CV and there's there are good ways and there are bad ways to prepare it and sometimes I've seen that it's taken a little bit too lightly uh, the way it's prepared and the information women tend to not sell themselves very well when it comes to, you know, um, what, what are their highlighting their skills and even networking. And uh, research has shown that women tend to network differently than men and perhaps not as effectively in, a, in an organization, especially at NATO. So that's one of the reasons why we did the mentoring program was to facilitate networking. A woman, for example, might not go to a senior male, um, senior level person uh, and ask them to, ment- to be mentored by them or ask them for career advice. So, you know, there's a, a reluctance to do that. So a, a lot of, um, of this is trying to break down those those communication barriers so that should you know one of these applicants apply for a job within NATO and want to be retained in the organization that they're known by by hiring managers they're not a non a non-entity I would say or they're not an unknown person from another division who they've never come into contact with and I think here it really matters sometimes um, who you know and um, of course our system is based on merit 
but it also is helpful to get advice on um, if you're searching to, to move to a specific division, to get advice on how the business is run in, in that division. Fantastic. Um, are there any particular skills that you feel are missing right now in international relations and advice on what sort of skills to cultivate if someone does want to be successful in this field? In, in the area of international relations, I wouldn't, um, perhaps instead of going into skills, I would say one of the main issues that we have, especially at NATO, is having women in the top leadership positions. So I think what might be missing uh, in terms of skills is training, perhaps senior, senior management to have, um, to, to see what their barriers might be in terms of having or hiring women in uh, senior level positions. Because um, I, I'm thinking perhaps of the soft skills instead of the hard skills. Uh, what are the competencies that someone might have or need to, to be in a certain position rather than do they have a master's degree in XYZ field? Uh, it might be more important that they're flexible or that they have creative skills, which is something that's not always very easy to test. Um, but I think, um, you know, all of this would apply also on the international scene. It's important to find out what the barriers to women are in all organizations, um, or even especially, you know, in, in national administrations as well. And to make sure that there's a balance um, at every decision-making level, uh, gender balance at, at uh, the decision-making, in the decision-making positions. Mm. What do you feel like are the barriers at NATO? Um, actually, we're going to conduct a study. Uh, Women Peace, the Office of Women, Peace and Security is going to uh, conduct a study, uh, finding out if there are barriers, actual barriers in the process. So, in fact, we, we don't know officially if there are any barriers. We try and remove barriers, for example, making the job descriptions more gender neutral, um, removing any language that might be discriminatory. Uh, we've done a lot of um, work on, for example, we used to put in our job descriptions uh, that they would have to work on social hours. And we've removed, we've tried to remove language like that because, um, you know, we, we want to encourage work-life balance. So we don't want to um, scare anybody from applying for a job, especially if they have a family, those kinds of things. So um, right now, no, I don't, I don't believe that there are barriers. But as I said, there's always the unconscious bias, and that's something that's very difficult to measure. Um, so we're going to we're going to have a study to see if, in fact, there are any barriers, and to try and improve the the recruitment process at every stage at uh, of the recruitment process. Excellent to hear. Final question: What advice would you give to your younger self? Yes, that's a good question. I think it's important to always have a plan. I felt perhaps in the past I didn't always have a clear direction and I think it's important especially for career to have plan A, B, C and D and uh, I really believe in the rent mentoring and role modeling and I think I maybe did not have a female role model um, you know in, in my career and I think every every woman should have a female role model and try and find out how or what made that role model successful and um, I think that's one of the things I would have, 
it would have helped me a bit uh, because I was encouraged to apply for you know to come to NATO and perhaps you know other other people are not are not encouraged and it, it always helps to have someone who's sort of pushing you a little bit um, to, to, to move forward so that's that's the advice I would give just have a plan and look for your role models <laughs>